Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. And we are the Lanky Guys with Extra Lank. <laughs> the Lanky Guys 3. <laughs> you will hear a new voice now because I am Father Peter Mossett. And I am Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter's brother, Neil. What's up, dog? What's up, dog? Who apparently their mom can't tell their voices apart, so we're going to have some fun today. <laughs> and you will not be able to tell who's actually laughing. Oh. That's right. Our, our laughs are pretty similar. Yeah, your laughs are identical. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> See? Case in point. <laughs> this is great. Dude, that's stereo, man. We watched some 3D movie the other day. We watched... Uh, what did we watch? We watched Tron. Oh, yeah, we watched Tron in 3D. And so it's kind of like stereo. Tron in 3D, wow. Because you're not exactly sure who's what and where. And, and then it just adds for extra depth. That's, that's why right. You're, that's that's right. why you're here. <laughs> so, I, so I took uh, my, my brother is in town visiting from Buffalo. 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 Buffalo soldier. Bu- bu- and I took the whole family jeeping in, nice. in the big rig. Oh, did they all gosh. fit? Yeah, we we pretty much fit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that um, there's a there's a certain thing on an off road trail called a whoop de doo. <laughs> okay, a whoop de doo is just it's like a washout, and so when you go over it, it, you throw everybody in the back of the car way into the air. <laughs> nice. And wow. and my little daughter calls it a whoopie doo. thankfully thankfully olivia olivia the youngest uh, she was able to fit between you and ashra in the back that's right that's right so you didn't whoop to do anybody out of the jeep (laughs) no no, there's a cage on there and so we did have some serious head trauma (laughs) yeah i'm i'm almost six two and that cage is just about two inches below my head i don't i don't think i've ever seen the cage no, because it is it's new. You've been up at camp. Yeah, indeed. And, and I just took the top off right before they got here so nice. that we could rock it. Nice, man. Yeah, dude. Well, it's, it, life life is good. Life is good. So, speaking of life being good and speaking of Jeeps, so one of our one of our fans, one of our listeners, Father David Hasser from Indiana, who's another fellow Jeeper, Jeep Jeep D. Oh. Well, I don't know I don't know what you guys call yourselves. But anyway, he's out here at Camp Boitio with us, so he's super pumped that we're recording the show, and maybe you'll listen to it in a few weeks because we're totally out of civilization here. But Father Hasser, here's a shout-out to you, who are probably about 400 feet away from me right now. Can, can I offer a shout-out? <laughs> yeah! So th- this past weekend was the uh, the 20th reunion of uh, the Match Buff class of 1993. Nice. That's and, boof. And my, and my old friend Karen Ponikeski says that she's an avid listener. So, really? Now she's Karen Neville, but uh, back then, you know, Karen Ponikiski. So she came up to me at the reunion and said, I listen to Lanky guys all the time. Does she think Did that's th- you? <laughs> no. <laughs> she, there, there's actual wisdom about theology, so she she definitely knows it's not me. <laughs> it's Scott and that musset guy. Uh, <laughs> dude, this is the thing, though, is that my brother beats me on the lank, dude. I, I'm looking at myself. We have the same shoe size. We're the same height. But... He, I have, I have a slightly less length. <laughs> well, it's funny. I'm looking at you guys on the Skype, on the, on the Skype, on the Skype. But <laughs> Father Peter's nice and comfy in that big easy chair, and Neil is just crunched into a tiny camp chair, and his his lanky legs are just all, <laughs> all over the place. There they go. <laughs> Look at him go. Dude, I'm there. gonna every time you laugh, I'm gonna try to do it too, oh. so that it's indistinguishable. All right, 
It's like a voice layover. Indistinguishable. <laughs> Good, well, dude. Man, we got it. we got some rocking readings going. This we week. do. First, I have one more shout out that I have to give before we jump okay. in. Okay. So I want to give shout a shout out. out to. It's actually three people in one. Uh, but I want to give a shout out to Mary Volcani and her two sons Doyle and Jack. Who Doyle and Jack? Right. So I'm up here at Camp Voitio. We do this wilderness um, wilderness experience for these young people. Doyle and Jack um, were two of the very first ever students to come to our program back before we didn't have any clue what the what the snot we were doing. We kind of do now. Uh, but Jack's now at CSU. Doyle's at in beautiful Atchison, Kansas at Benedictine College. So shout That's out to fun. all the Vol- Volcanis and they're a great family out in Lakewood. So here's to the Volcanis. What what Volcanis? Actually, they're good friends with Father Kevin. I know the Volcanis. Yeah, I I think the Volcanis are super cool. Yeah, they're they're sweet. They say that we uh, we jump in like we knew what we were doing. All right, so our readings. So this is the thirteenth Sunday in Ordinary Time, and our readings are going to be coming from First Kings chapter nineteen, Psalm sixteen, Galatians chapter five, and then Luke chapter nine. So if you're following along in your Bibles, trying to figure out if we know what we're talking about or not, that's where we're going. <laughs> yeah, you, the, this is the thing, though, is that, like you gave them the chapters. Th- there's a wide <laughs> variety. Well, you know what? They can just things. put their fingers there, and then we'll tell them where to go. Okay, okay. There we go. Otherwise, I mean, so, have you seen the psalm? Everyone turn to Psalm 16, verses 1 through 2, verse 5, verse 7 through 8, verse 9 through 10, and verse 11. And that's C5A, just, just in case you were wondering. C5A. Yeah, it's hard. These are all complicated. <laughs> Dude, it's this the week. weirdest thing, man. Like these guys, <laughs> these guys are like good chefs. They like Who to are? take only the best parts. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Okay. So, so, so now, Don Baselli, you can tune in now. Don Baselli, get on, get on the horn. So, First <laughs> Kings chapter nineteen. That's where we're, where we're starting. So, I love. We've been talking about um, Elijah. We talked about Elijah last week, didn't we? Yeah. But what did we say about him? What What was he doing last week? I'm trying to remember the readings from last week because they kind of go together. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was I Elijah. I don't know. I don't know, but it was about, <laughs> it was about Elijah. <laughs> so this time, so this is this is actually a great moment. So nutshell about Elijah. Elijah, I remember, he was this prophet who was sent to the northern kingdom. So remember, Israel all split in two, and the tribes split um, up. Two of the tribes stayed in the south. They had Jerusalem and the temple, and then ten of the tribes they rebelled and they went up north and they founded their own temples and had their own gods and their own priests, and it was a mess. It was a disaster. And God sent Elijah to be the prophet to that kind of disaster of a nation. By the way, the northern tribes, that kind of northern kingdom that was always in war and strife with the people down in Jerusalem, um, the remnant of that people by Jesus' time are the people called the Samaritans. So remember throughout the Gospels, Jesus and, and the Jewish people were always having strife. They always hated the Samaritans. It's basically, it all goes back to this, when the tribes split apart and they, they had this kind of civil war, basically. So this is sort of and where all that begins. Yeah, I think uh, Jerusalem was really bitter because they started running all the thrift stores up uh, in the north, and <laughs> they were really looking for some cheap stuff, and they were just bitter. They couldn't get to them. They had to like kind of go into this other thing, <laughs> and they were like, those people are good, but like, come on. I mean, it's just what happens with the thrift store. Actually, it's like in Boulder. I cannot find a good thrift store to save my life. Yeah, no, I mean, Northern Kingdom was where Do- Dollar Tree started. yeah so so elijah (laughs) he's uh he's up in this northern kingdom full of the thrift stores and he is convinced that he is the only one he's the only faithful one these people are disaster god is actually working all these miracles through him there's fire being called down which is going to be important for later on um he's proving all these gods that they worship as, as non-existent all this stuff is great and yet nobody's listening to him and so elijah 
falls into this huge pit of despair. Well, it's, I don't know if it's despair, but but he's really down. It's actually from the life of Elijah, where some of the saints get the the different stages of the interior life. So like the dark night of the soul, the oh. dark night of the senses. It's all based on Elijah because he went through through some really hard times, and he prays this prayer. He's, like, he's basically saying, "God, am I the only one?" And in answer to that prayer, God shows him number one, no, there are actually three thousand more that are still faithful. And just to show you that I'm serious, I'm actually going to give you a sidekick. Basically, I'm going to give you a right hand man who's also faithful, so you don't have to be alone anymore. Which is really kind of beautiful. And that's where uh, Elisha comes from. I was just watching a TED talks the other day, and there was a there was a talk that I ended up seeing. I showed my brother, and it was how to start a movement. Okay. I don't know. Have you seen? Have you seen that one, Scott? No, it, well, it's this dude, and he's talking about how he has this like concert footage <clears throat> of this guy, and he's he's like dancing. I mean, he it, it's like Bonnaroo Festival or something, and the guy is like just he's like grooving, but he is alone, and everybody's kind of like looking at this dude. <laughs> and then the next thing, then then you see one guy join him, and the guy who's giving the lecture says, you know, it's not about the necessarily just the leadership. He says the the first follower is absolutely important uh, to be able to take and be taken seriously to actually begin a movement. Huh. Yeah, the first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. Wow, that's well. How can we apply that to our own lives? How can we apply that to the lanky guys? Well, See, to Elijah. Well, yeah, to Elijah. Well, but I mean, to us. I'm. I only care about us. So we had two lanky guys. Now we have. Third. <laughs> now we have Neil. Dude, but this is a lanky this movement. Is a movement. So, Neil, we you're actually joining right us. You're the first follower, so you're an See? equal and important. That's ah, right. Ah. All right. Thank you. Thank, I, I'm gonna call in my friends then. <laughs> See. Ah. That you oh. won't even need to. They'll just feel it, and they'll come ru- come a running. But that is kind of the problem, though, with Elijah and Alicia, because people don't really come. It's just Elijah and Alicia. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I, I always think the, this is he kind is of running solo, and totally Alicia solo. almost doesn't come either because the brother, yeah. like, he he's he's kind of a little wonky at the first. Well, do you think so? I mean, think about this. Well, he, so, he says, "I want to kiss my father and my mother and goodbye, and I will follow you." And he's like, "Come on, where's where's your motivation, Alicia?" Well, he, I see. I would. I beg to differ with that, because I think it's actually. A, and this is going to be really important for later on in the gospel. But I think it's a perfectly reasonable request. And I, I think that's why, <clears throat> that's why Elijah says, "Yeah, go go for it." And 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 just to, I mean, just to prove that Elisha is really um, what he says he is, then you know wh- what's he doing? So Elisha left him when he when he goes back to ki- to kiss his father and his mother. What does he actually do? He probably kisses mom and dad. But what does the text tell us he's doing? Well, he he goes back and and makes boiled oxen, and actually, yep. what he does is he's severing himself entirely yeah. from the life that he had before. He's saying, totally. "You know what? I was a rancher. I took care of oxen. I had plows. I had everything. And I'm going to burn the equipment, kill the mm. animals. I am entirely going to follow you 100." percent Do you think his neighbors were like, "Oh, you could have just given us the stuff. <laughs> 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 we appreciate it, but just give us the stuff." Yeah. Anyway, no, he is. I mean, he's showing this is. It's like it's like the. Well, no, that's a terrible analogy. So I'll just stick with that. Yeah, it, it's good. So he's showing he is severing himself, and I, I, I do think, and I do think it's important because I think it's a reasonable request. To um, and he's got his hand on the plow, and he goes back and he says goodbye to everybody. So this is this is the setup. So here's Elijah. He's alone. He's trying to convert this very dark world. God gives him a companion, and they're going to go on to do all of these incredible things. I mean, there's this huge. We've talked about this before on the show. I mean, there's this huge interplay between Elijah and Elisha, which mirrors the interplay between John the Baptist and Jesus and all the things that they're going to do. I mean, Elisha is going to go and he's going to raise people from the dead. He's going to multiply loaves of bread. He's going to, you know, cure lepers. He's going to do all the things that Jesus will later on do. 
So he's, he's, he's going to call down fire from heaven and kill 50 people at once from an army that's going to come and try to lay siege to him? Didn't Elijah already do that? Well, that was Elijah, yeah, not Elisha. Yeah, I'm that sorry. was Elijah. Was, so, so that now, actually uh, did, <coughs> How does Elijah have the authority to tap? I mean, you, you don't see Elijah talking Elijah I- into any of this. So he just runs up to him, throws a cloak on him, and it's a done deal. It, does he have that much authority I in, think at he, this time that it's just obvious? I think he does. And actually, if you and I, I don't have the verses on at my fingertips, but if I we could look through it, it, there are a couple points in the story of Elijah, actually a number of points where you see that there's actually a whole community of kind of desert um, mystics that are following Elijah. And there's other prophets. There's a whole group of people that are kind of following him, watching him. And he sort of does stand out as the leader. And when remember the moment when he I can't remember exactly where it was, where Elisha goes up to heaven on the on the chariot and stuff where he's taken up to heaven. Yeah, the fiery Mm -hmm. chariot, the fiery chariot. There's a whole group of other kind of desert prophets that are standing around watching and witnessing Elijah transferring his authority onto Elisha. So there's a whole community that seems to respect and accept him as sort of the leader of this this kind of group of desert prophets that are wandering around. Wow. Okay, so, so it's not just that he's going to be wandering around and he throws a cloak. I mean, if I was like hanging out, like mowing the lawn, and some dude threw a cloak on me, you would burn your lawnmower. He doesn't say anything either. He's just like no. he just walks, and then then Alicia just kind of did it. There would be a weird scene. I mean, of course, stranger things have happened in Boulder. <laughs> they have, and they still will. But at, at this point, so for a long time of his prophetic career he does feel alone by this time people actually kind of know who he is and people have, have known uh. who he was for a long time but now he's actually got a little following and again by the time that he transfers authority you see there's this whole crew that are with him so people know who he is and Elisha you know maybe he's an aspiring prophet so he's pretty pumped about this yeah. anyway it's it's you are my inheritance <coughs> Oh Lord! That's oh, somebody, we got response. an email. That's, how do you like my singing? Very did you, good. Did Very you get good. the? E- did you guys get the? E- well, Father Peter, did you get the email? It just came a couple days ago that this guy named Mark um, from Ontario said he thinks Father Peter is the best singer in the world, and he's oh my amazed, gosh, he's amazed that you actually became a priest with all of that talent. So it was a travesty that who Danielle won the voice, right? <laughs> exactly. It was a I should have been the one who won. Yeah, according to Mark. <laughs> Mark in Ontario, yeah. Thanks, Mark, dude. You're you're my hero, Mark. You're the best. You. I will sing a song to you, Mark. (laughs) You are my hero, (laughs) and I won the game because of you. Because of you. Keep it up, man. Keep it going. Keep it going. Okay. All right. The psalm is awesome this week. So here's what I have to say about the psalm. Psalm 16. Um. Psalm 16, so, you know, I mean, w- the, the tradition of the church, here's what the church understands. One of the church's roles in the world is to be the interpreter of the scriptures, right? And to be mm-hmm. the, 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 the wellspring of, of what this stuff is to do. So, um, and the church has always understood that the Old Testament is brought to light in light of the New Testament. So what, what, what is that? What is, how does the church say it? The Old Testament is concealed, or the New Testament is concealed, in the, concealed old, in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. Yeah. So what does the church do? The church, <coughs> um, the church interprets the scriptures. Do you know, here's my, here's my um, um, Socratic questioning. Do you know the first <laughs> time the church does an exegesis on the scriptures? Dude, I want to say, well, first I mean, ever. the New Testament 
the New Testament is, I mean, as far as the Gospels um, uh, are, 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 I mean, St. Paul, I mean, I think that the, the first writings of St. Paul are an exegesis. Nope. So the New Testament nope. in its, in its nope. core. Wrong, 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 wrong. Those aren't no. the first. That is true. That's totally true. But there's one way before that. Jerus- way Council of Jerusalem? No, way earlier. Stephen? Way earlier. Uh-huh. I don't know, man. Check this out. I actually just discovered, so I was looking up some, something to say about the psalm today, and I discovered, and I just never put the pieces together, on Pentecost, when Peter steps out into the crowd and he begins to speak, guess what he speaks about? He speaks about Psalm 16, and he gives a little uh. exegesis on Psalm 16. I just want to read really quick. This is from Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It's when Peter steps out on P- Pentecost Sunday. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you to do miracles and signs and wonders. And, you know, he goes on to say what happened to Jesus. Um, he says, For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand. I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced. My tongue was glad. My flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you let let your Holy One see corruption, etc., etc. So in his very first words, the church's birthday, when Peter steps out on on Pentecost Sunday, these are the words he speaks. And he says he does this exegesis, saying this is what David was talking about. From the beginning, you know, all these things we've been waiting for and longing for, the the loneliness that Elijah felt, you know, is there any hope on the horizon? All the future tense stuff that happens in the Old Testament, guess what? This is what it's about. And he uses Psalm 16 as his as his launching point for everything the church is going to do, which I just thought was kind of cool. Now, now is Psalm 16, I, I know that there, was a, there were a number of Jews who didn't believe in the afterlife. Is it does seem yep. to sound like a, some sort of afterlife in this, this no, no Hades kind of business. Yeah, there was a lot of dispute over the afterlife in certain political groups among the Jews. Some, some belie- I mean, the Pharisees were all pretty convinced there was an afterlife. The Sadducees did not think there were an afterlife. It's more nuanced than that, but, but in a nutshell, I mean, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the group of people that were saying, basically, look, we haven't listened to the scriptures. Things are corrupt. We need to get back to the law. You know, we need to listen to what, what the Lord has been telling us and what the prophets have been saying because everything's a mess. The Sadducees, you know, this is another political group. They were basically the ones in power by Rome. So they were the ones in authority. They were the ones that had the big houses and drove the Cadillac Escalades around, you know, with their <laughs> on, on chariots and stuff. But they were the ones in power. And so they actually formed this whole school of thought that said, no, everything is great. The prof- there, there are no prophets. There's nobody telling us we're wrong. So they actually threw out all of the books of the prophets and many of the Psalms as well. So all the things that spoke about angels and the afterlife and consequence for sin, they said, nah, we don't accept any of that as, as legitimate scripture. They only accepted <laughs> the first five books because basically they wanted to get themselves off the hook. So this is sort of, I don't know if that's the start, but that's part of the dispute between over the afterlife. Some believe, some don't. If you, if you accept the, most of the Old Testament like the Pharisees do, then yeah, you're like, no, this is pretty self-explanatory. But not everybody did. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It does. I you man, anytime you start throwing out scripture, you are in a in a great risk, man. I'll oh, totally. tell you what. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why Martin Luther wanted to throw out so much of the New Testament. I know. It, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he threw out a bunch of the Old Testament, but because well, he 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 used the 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 understanding not of history but of language, and so for the the apocryphal books, apocryphal books, uh, the uh were 
books that were written in Greek in the Old Testament and not necessarily in Hebrew. So you had you had yeah. Greek copies, uh-huh. but not Hebrew copies. And so he was saying, no, 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 it has to be written in Hebrew if it's going to actually be an Old Testament book. And so that's why you have like half the book of Daniel and you've got Maccabees and all Maccabees. this. That, Maccabees. That, that he just chucks and, and he uses it as a guise because there's a lot of stuff in there that will uh, lead us directly towards the church. And when Tobit, his... which is the best book in the entire Bible. Tobit, poop in the eye, man. But you're going to make a movie on that one. I know uh, you yeah, are. I got to make a movie on Tobit. Do it, man. I would watch it. As long as you get the poop in the eye scene done right. <laughs> <laughs> That's like one of my favorite adventures of all time is watching lectors every other year. <laughs> like I like to get somebody at the last minute so they're not prepared. And so that oh, they walk yeah. up and they're like, and then the warm droppings spilled <laughs> into his eyes causing cataracts. Oh, and they're they like, have to be warm. Ah, like, <laughs> I'm excited for the lector to read um, Elijah the son, who, who Elijah's the son of this week in the first reading. Oh, That's dude, yeah, th- no, I, I can't even pronounce it. It's Abel Meholala. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, Shafat Sh- of Abel Mehola. Oh, Abel Mehola. Yeah, that's going to be fun, though, to listen to. It, it really is. Do you know that one of my favorite things in the whole world is listening to people screw up the act of confession? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I no. love it. Because like little kids tried to read the word detest, oh. and that's like, and detest is not a normal thing <laughs> that we use in any sort of language. And so what they, they say? so I, <laughs> I desist all of my sins. <laughs> I mean, like heartily, dude. I'm hearty, sorry. And you're like, oh. there's so many mess ups in the act of contrition. It's the greatest joy in the world. Okay. We we went to Waterworld this past week in Denver. It's this oh, enormous water, water park, and um, and so we were. There's a ride called the the Lost River of the Pharaohs, and my my daughter, my little seven year old, didn't know the word, so she said, "Oh, Daddy, let's go on the Lost River of the Pharisees." <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> the best. That's a whole different ride. Speaking of the Pharisees, yes, they like. Oh, I love. They I like love the these law. segues. I love it when you do this. <laughs> Dude, this is how I roll. Because Paul, to the Galatians, man, he he's getting up and he's like, dude, what is slavery to him mm. is is something way, it's the law. It's it's actually being bound by something without actually having your heart in it. Yeah. It's just it's just saying, okay, yeah, you're just going through the going through the motions is slavery for Paul. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. you think you think that that's going to accomplish something when in fact that no, you radically need conversion in your life, and freedom is actually what we're supposed to end up in, not this this sort of uh, this other this other thing called the law, slavery, and and I I love it I love it when he throws down. I mean, we had it last week, and this week we have it in spades. Yeah, yeah, we do. It, there, there's this line. So one of the things Paul says right in the middle, he says, "For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement." Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says essentially the same thing in the Gospels. Um, there, there's this. So here's here's something interesting that that we'd miss if we didn't know the rabbinic tradition. The rabbis had something called a yoke, and the yoke of a rabbi was this is kind of it was kind of their um, it was kind of their 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 one line summary of the whole of the law. And and when we talk about the law, quote unquote. 
what we're usually talking about is literally the book of Deuteronomy. When Jewish people, when, when first century rabbinic Jews talk about the law, they're talking about the book of Deuteronomy specifically. And so a rabbi would often have a yoke, which was their, their one line statement. How do you sum up the whole law? And that was their yoke. And so there's this oh. great there's this great story about this rabbi. I think it was Rabbi Hillel, but I don't remember. Oh, wow. Who was approached by this group of Gentiles, and they said, Rabbi, we will all convert to Judaism if you can recite the whole law standing on one foot. And so Rabbi took his foot up. He, he held his foot up, and he said, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they said, all the rest is just commentary. And then he put his foot down. And so this this was super common. I, I, I always think that's a good story because that's what Jesus is doing when he sums up the law. That's what Paul's doing. But that's the yoke, um, which is just kind of a it's kind of a neat connection. Wow, that's un- I've never heard that. Neither have I. That's beautiful. Yeah, we and end I mean, up in something weird again, though, Scott, with the <laughs> oh, uh, with the 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 uh, the dissection of the of the um, uh, of the readings. Because we have, because it's Galatians five one, and then we skip oh, twelve we verses into go into thirteen, and you, and this is always good evidence that you should read it. This is this is why <laughs> we do this podcast is that you yes. are encouraged to read and to actually investigate and look at the scriptures. Well, in you know why we jump context. over that. You know why we jump over that, right? I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're you're cutting you're cutting in and out a lot. I, I actually didn't hear what you just said. Why is it? It's because I it's because I was speaking over you, like I tend to do. Um, I said, you know why we why we jump over that portion? What's what's the section that we skip over all about? Circumcision. Circumcision. Is it, is, yeah, I mean it, it. It goes under this this huge kind of diatribe about um, about uh, you know uh, how the law is is circumscribed in the circumcision. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, yeah, but it's he true. and also. Paul goes crazy and he says that the in verse 12 he says I wish those who unsettle you would <laughs> keep going and castrate themselves. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> great isn't the word I would use. Well no, not great. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's <laughs> awkward. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean it's it's definitely like I, you could hear the exasperation of Paul. He's so frustrated by the Galatians. <laughs> well, and no, he's yes, he's frustrated with Galatians. But I mean, it also reminds you what a specific problem he's dealing with. It, this isn't just some abstract, esoteric theological debate he's having. There are literally people coming into Paul's church and saying, "Look, you guys are not legitimate Christians. If you want to be, you have to let us circumcise you." Which is a crazy thing to be going into churches demanding of people, and Paul is just ticked off by that. He's like, what are you doing? I mean, so when he throws out something like, I wish those who would unsettle you would mutilate themselves, I mean, there's a real physical painful problem that he's dealing with here, which is not abstract. And so, you know, for, for the ancient Jews, for Paul, I mean, circumcision was the, the marker of the law par excellence. I mean, it sort of represented everything else. And so that's what he's going at, going against. He's like, if you're putting your salvation in, in your circumcision, then you're miss, you've missed the boat. That's not what it's about. Well, that's the that's the that's what I think is getting at the heart of the the connections between these readings this week is this is this experience of actually going from the heart of things because I mean Paul in in verse he says um uh, in uh, verse four. Uh, you who would be justified by the law have fallen away from grace. Yeah. Like you can't, it, it's yeah. kind of like um, if Elijah, when he was touched by Elijah, 
he just was there. If he didn't actually answer with his heart and actually make the break and say, I'm going to follow you unreservedly with everything that I am, wherever that means. Right. Uh, he would just be going through the, he's, he would just be learning some sort of technique. It would just right. be, it'd just right. be another skill rather than a, a, an actual experience in life. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, which is, <laughs> which, and that's not what Elijah and Alicia are doing. But I, I do think that's what makes the gospel so profound because Elijah and Elisha do incredible things. And Elijah does is shown by God, look, you are cared for. There, there are people with this. But it's st- I, I'm convinced, and this is what I've been tra- teaching our staff when I tra- taught our staff about how to teach the scriptures this summer. I said one of the things we have to remember is I, I'm convinced that the whole of the Old Testament is made to make you, is meant to make you long for the New Testament. Because Elijah and Elisha, they're the best prophets we have, but they're still, I mean, they're still a pretty sad story. And, and what do they do? They're calling down fire on people. They're sending out she-bears to devour those kids. Remember that story? I mean, it's uh. just <laughs> all of this kind of crazy stuff. And you're like, okay, is that is that as good as it gets? King David, the best king they ever had, is adulterous and murderous and has a kid out of wedlock and then kills kills the husband. I mean, this is as good as it gets. All of these things are meant to just make you long for something something more. So as great a story as the uh, the one of Elijah and Elisha is, I think the story in the Gospel of Luke is meant explicitly to trump it directly and to go after it and show, no, that's that's not all that there was. And hence we get to the Gospel. Yeah. yeah I was actually, I, I paused because I, I was about to go there and I wanted to see <laughs> if we were on the same strain of, of life. Oh, I'm sorry. So, Sorry. Go, yeah, yep. I will never speak again. I won't either. So okay, that works. <laughs> so Neil, okay, we to get you. to Luke nine, man, which is like the beginning. I have to tell you that I always have this wonderful and and glorious feeling towards Luke nine because I wrote my um my uh my thesis in 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 the seminary on uh, uh chapter twenty four and it's the disciples and they're walking away from Jerusalem mm. and. Uh, but everything starts in Luke 9, where Jesus, he says, uh, that when the days for Jesus being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem. And so the so from chapter 9 until the end of the Gospel of Luke, the entire thrust is towards Jerusalem and towards oh. the Holy City. And so when you see these disciples walking away from Jerusalem, what you realize is that they're just walking away from the work of Jesus. The, 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 yeah. the, the, the sites that Jesus had set on it, that they... Uh, that they were they were they weren't down with it anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm also always a little bit disappointed in the translation that we get here, um, because you know what it what it actually says literally, and some translations have this. What it, what it literally says is he set his face to go to Jerusalem, or actually no, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's a different gospel that says he set his face. I think that's the gospel of Mark. Well, regardless, what what it what it's saying is is he set his face to go to Jerusalem, which is uh, a reference back to the Old Testament when a prophet sets his face to do something. So Jeremiah was asked to set his face to go to Jerusalem to preach this message against the temple. They'd be um, corrupt, and then they tried to kill him for it. So whenever you see the term set his face, set one's face in the Bible, it's about somebody who has to basically determine to do something that is going to suck and that they might get killed for. So that's precisely what it's saying here. And, and if you're a Jew reading this, you're like, oh, man, I know that language. I know what's coming to Jerusalem. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. If I set my face towards something, I hope it's not the grindstone. Mm. 
Because uh, I have a big I nose. Uh, yeah. I'm I sorry. I, I just had get to it. say it. It was just. <laughs> I don't even get it. I'm going to move on now. I don't want to get it. <laughs> oh, you know, in in the RSV, it does. It says. It says. Um, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So okay, the translation yeah, yeah, yeah. is is actually accurate there. Uh, so okay. I have to say, this is um, this is a really intense and and kind of difficult gospel to hear. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, so let's so let's talk about this. So let, let's actually jump a little bit. So they went to the Samaritan village. He wasn't welcomed there. Now remember, what did we say before? Who are the Samaritans? Do you remember? Northern they, Kingdom. Yeah, it's and the re- remnant of the Northern Kingdom who they hated each other. Yeah, now, would they call themselves Jews? I mean, is Samaritan a, a, a derogatory word? Would they think of themselves as Jews? They wouldn't call themselves Jews because where Jew, remember the term Jew comes from one specific tribe, the people of the tribe uh. of Judah. So you don't see the term Jew really showing up until after the kingdom split. And um, after the, the Babylonian exile, really the people who are left in the southern kingdom are just the tribe of Judah and some of the tribe of Benjamin, which was tiny, which kind of got absorbed. So the term Jew um, came about really just as a way of referring to the tribe of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. Um, so, so not all semi- Israelites were Semites Jewish. They're and Hebrews, but not Jews? Correct, yeah. So Semite, the term Semite comes from uh, the name Shem. Remember uh, Noah's son Shem, Ham, and Japheth? So the Shemites, the ones who come out of the line of Shem, are the ones where we get the term Shemetic or Semitic. So you follow that line. Hebrew comes from a guy named Eber, who I I forget where in the family line he appears a little bit later on. So the Eberus coming out of that particular strand of the family, and then Jewish comes from the, the tribe of Judah specifically. I did take uh, one class from Scott Hahn, so you're you're officially that. That's all I know. Nice. <laughs> that's all you need. We have now tapped it out. You've been a great you? audience. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh man. Well, th- this is the thing: is that um, is that Jesus kind of is way way intense, uh, and he he's taking up the spirit of Elijah in a really kind of a hyperbolic way when you're looking at this gospel, because Elijah threw the cloak on Elisha and he said, okay, you know, I'll follow you. Let me kiss. And he's like, okay, I guess so. Like, go kiss your dad or whatever. And then like, then he boils everything, kills everything and then follows him. Whereas, whereas Jesus is, is like, um, Jesus is a little more intense than that. Oh, we, we passed over the fact that, um, uh, uh, John, uh, John and James, um, uh, John and James, the sons of thunder, actually were taking up the story of Elijah because right, um, right, exactly be, because of the fifty men that they that uh, Elijah said, "If God is the God above, fire's going to kill all of you," and they kill like fifty of them <laughs> in one <laughs> fell swoop. Right, we, yeah, exactly. And where are they? I mean, that's where Samaria is. Samaria is in the northern kingdom where this happened. So they're it's probably on their minds. They're like, "Oh yeah, like Elijah did." Yep, and and so. So then they journeyed to another village, and then some people are like, hey, I want to follow. Yay, yeah. I think that you're cool. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus answers, like, way intensely. I mean, he's like, he's like, I do not have a home. And it gets more intense with everything he says every time. So, yeah, the I don't have a home. And then, then the burying the father. So a quick word on the burying the father. Um, burying the father was, let me see if I can remember this right. It was the one, so, so uh, observing the Sabbath, right, was the most imp- one of the most important things that the Jewish people could do. The rabbis only made one exception for not observing the Sabbath. And the only one exception that they made was if someone had to bury their father. So, I mean, yeah, Jesus... It was like, it was like a, I mean, it was like a basic mandatory reality for the, 
I mean, this, this isn't this isn't some sort of scandalous thing bearing your father. No, it was actually right. like at the core of everything. Yeah, absolutely. But here's the problem, though. To bury your father, so there, I learned about this a couple of years ago. The process for burial in the Jewish time in, in the first century was was crazy. So it would actually take in many, many, many months to do this. So basically, what you would do if a person died, you would basically wrap their body, you would shroud them, and you would put it with the perfumes, and then you would put it in a big, basically, room in a big cave, which is where they put Jesus's body. But yeah. you ever wonder about? I always wondered about this. I mean, when they put Jesus in this huge tomb. I always kind of wondered, I mean, that doesn't, if, if every, can everybody be buried in a giant tomb? You just run out of giant tombs at some point, right? Because that's just an inefficient way to bury bodies. So what you would do is you'd put the body in the tomb for a while, and you would actually allow it a number of months to decompose. And once it had decomposed, you'd actually go back into the tomb, and you would gather the remnants, you would gather the bones, and you would put the bones in a little ossuary, this box, that you would then bury in the ground. Which is why we talk oh. about St. Peter's bones and the bones of this and that. So the burial process is, is a ridiculously long process. So what Jesus is actually saying is not that it's a bad thing to bury your father, but he's literally saying, look, we do not have time. We are on an urgent deadline. There's not time for that right now. But he's not being as mean as he sounds like he's being. Boom. Boom. <laughs> well, you know, when I read commentaries, I mean, like the, the commentaries are fairly universal and they say, you know, um, what Jesus is saying is, is that it's, it's actually more pressing. Right. The, the, the kingdom of the announcement of the kingdom of heaven is actually more pressing than familial relationships, which is which That's is um, for us 20th century folks. We don't have the same kind of family bond that they That's did true. back then. They saw themselves as a whole, not as not as individuals. And so yeah, that's true. To kind of bail on the family, you, you're you actually have to have a new identity in bonding yourself to the new family of God, which is Jesus yes. is trying to establish. Yeah, Absolutely. And then, and then you get to the kicker, and then he finally says, you know, this, somebody says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my family at home. And he says, no one who sets a hand to the plow and looks to what left, he's left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. And again, it, this is stark as could be. Who set his hand to the plow and then looked back to say goodbye? Elisha? Elisha, obviously. So what he's saying is, not that Elisha's bad, but he's, he's saying pretty point blank, Elisha is not fit. For the, for the kingdom of God in the way that I'm establishing it now. This is so much bigger than what Elijah did. But he's going after him directly by, by referencing him in that way. And I'm so happy that the church was... I was reading the first reading, and I was like, please let it be Luke 9. Please let it be Luke 9. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny because I, I, you know, I did drive a combine when I did some um, time out in the <laughs> Eastern Plains. And, and uh, w that's one of the things is that, that people who drive combines, they'll make fun of you if you look backwards. Because if you look backwards really? as you're driving the combine, then you don't make straight lines while you're harvesting. And then they'll make fun oh, of you. And so wow. then you're not fit to drive the combine. But of course, that's just a, a joke and something that we're <laughs> trying to do seriously. <laughs> well, it seems like w when you're talking about the law and being freed from the law, it almost sounds like you're getting some sort of break. Oh, we don't have to follow this law anymore. It's like, right. oh, thank goodness we're, we're done with that. But the demands on this are so much more intense yes. than the law ever asked for. Yes. You could still say goodbye to your par parents if you were living, you know, as strict a law as you want. Wow. Yeah. Abs I mean, that's absolutely it. Jesus is just upped the ante by like 20. And man, that's intense to throw down and say Alicia is less than what we're doing right here. Yeah. 
you can't do this if you're following the law because the law is ultimately death and you're you have to break out and you actually have to live in a deviant capacity you mean yes. you actually have to be a deviant if you're going to follow me is what jesus is saying absolutely and i mean what does it mean to be a deviant what it means to be a deviant is in essence not calling fire down on the people that reject you and want to throw you out i mean which again this is my, that it, it's in a certain sense, that's just a lot harder. I mean, this is this, you know, we hear love your enemies and we it, we just get so used to those lines and we're like, all right, love your enemies, hold hands, sing kumbaya, this is the gospel message. But I mean, it's it's ridiculously hard to do what Jesus is actually asking him to do because their enemies at the time were either the Samaritans who hated them or the Roman centurions that wanted to kill them and, and steal all their money. I mean, if imagine if people took Jesus seriously and actually loved their enemies, namely these Roman centurions that hated them and wanted to kill them. And imagine what would happen. I, I always think it's fascinating. Do you know who the first person in the gospel to acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God was? I mean, Peter. No. The first person to vocalize it in the gospel. Nathaniel? Oh, sorry, at the crucifixion, when Jesus is being crucified. Who's the first person to get it? Longinus. The centurion. Yeah, the Roman centurion. And just think yeah. about how bizarre that is. I mean, Jesus, probably two years prior has started telling everybody, love your enemies, namely these Roman centurions. Is it any coincidence? I mean, could it be that people actually took took him up on that, blew the Roman centurions' minds, and then they were prepared for Jesus and actually were the first ones to recognize him? I mean, can we can we believe in that kind of a conversion for our enemies and the people who we just despise? I just think it's fascinating. The first one to acknowledge that was a Roman centurion. And then as you read on, there's just Roman centurions left and right. Which were, I mean, they were the terrorists of the time. I mean, th- these were the most hated, the most feared, and they're the ones that are flocking to the cross. It's crazy to me. That's crazy. It, and actually, there's a line in Galatians today that says, but if you go on biting and devouring one another, yeah, yeah, yeah. beware that you are not consumed by one another. Yeah. Mean, meaning that you can actually engage and you can argue, but don't take this to the next level where you're calling down fire. But but be engaged for the truth for a proper reason. And, but but don't 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 take this to the next logical step. If you're if you're I- engaged in conflict, it's actually it's, you're still meant to love in the midst of conflict. Even then, we'll take this. So if if you're if we're still talking about Romans for a second, you take what Paul just said to the Galatians. So, you know, one of the things that everybody in Jesus' time wanted to do was wage this war against the Roman Empire, which Jesus basically told them not to do. But what's ironic, when the war finally breaks out between the Jews and the Romans in Jerusalem in, in 66 and 70 AD, more people, more Jewish people were actually killed by each other, by warring factions, than they were killed by the Romans. So they actually consumed more of each other in trying to destroy their enemies than they actually destroyed their enemies. Wow. Oh my gosh. Which wow, is that crazy. Sounds, that's it sounds a little bit like Gideon. <clears throat> yeah, it's totally like Gideon. By the way, I never understood why the people made Gideon Bibles. They must not have read the whole story because he's, <laughs> he's a terrible person. <laughs> uh well, dude, that was awesome. Cool. Man, well, Neil, it was it was super cool. You're like one of our faithful listeners, and you made it on the show with us today. I'm just represent, man. I love listening to you guys, and it's it's really and it is very nice in this basement, you it know. Is. And so I, I, it is very nice instant like espresso. I didn't even know that they were <sighs> in, like the little packets. No, I mean that's some good espresso. So I I, I got me. the whole treatment. You're killing me up here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my instant coffee with dirty cubes of ice in it. 
yeah, dude, the, the coffee up there, I have to say, I love you guys, but that coffee is like raw. Come on, and man. and your hat is on its last legs, man. I, I see the fringe. No, it is. No, it's yeah, it's it's doing badly. So we're hanging on by a thread up here. <laughs> well, you know, email us at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Send us your shout outs and um you know, we hope that you um, are inspired and enlivened by this and that you have your ossuaries prepared. For <laughs> Unless Jesus comes, then you got to get moving. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.